Hello, this is Dwayne McCurry, the team leader for Adult Explore the Bible. Thank you for joining us again this week for our weekly podcast. This week we're looking at session 8, which is in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. We're returning to Romans after our week away for Easter. Uh, this particular uh, passage, 12 through 25, uh, the theme behind it is being secure in the promises of God. The way we have it outlined is with these four breaks. First of all, in verses 12 through 13, you have the eternal future. In these passages, Paul explains that through faith in Jesus, uh, we put to death the deeds of this earthly body in exchange for life. By living according to the Spirit, we demonstrate that we are children of God. In verses 14 through 18, we've defined that section as eternal inheritance. Part of it is because Paul reminds his readers that believers are adopted into God's family, no longer needing to fear slavery to sin. So as children, an inheritance that outweighs anything we may face on earth awaits us. And we're going to talk more about that idea of adoption in just a minute. The third section is creation restored, which is verses 19 through 22. Paul points out that all of creation awaits redemption. Every bit of creation has been touched by humanity's sin and waits to be set free from the consequences of that sin. In verses 23 through 25, He's going to also note that not just creation is awaiting that redemption, but so too is all humanity. The anticipation of redemption should produce hope. Now this week my guest is, is Mike Livingston. Mike is one of the editors for the Adult Explore the Bible. Mike, thank you for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Uh, I mentioned when I was going over the outline the idea of adoption uh, into God's family. Can you give us some more background on that idea, on that concept? Yeah, when Paul talks about adoption, we, we're not, uh, we don't know for sure if he's drawing from an Old Testament Jewish background or maybe he had in mind Greek, Roman practices. Could have been day. anything with. It could have been either, uh, any of those. It, it wasn't necessarily either or, though. It, I mean, he was influenced certainly by Old Testament truths but also by the current practices of his day. Now, in the Old Testament, the references to adoption are, are, are rare. You've got very few examples of adoption in the Old Testament. Moses comes to mind, Moses and Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, there were no laws in the Old Testament about adoption that governed the practice of adoption, and the word, word adoption doesn't even appear in, in the Old Testament. But Paul uses uh, the, the word adoption when he talked about Israel uh, in Romans 9, 4. It's not in our passage this week, but in Romans 9, 4, adoption is first on the list of the blessings that God gave to the Israelites. He said they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and so forth. And when Paul said that, he may have had Old Testament passages in mind, even though the word adoption isn't used, but you've got Exodus 4, 22, Israel is my firstborn son. You've got Hosea 11, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So Paul certainly was influenced by Old Testament um, thought, but he's also, I think, drawing from cultural practice of, practices of his day that his Gentile audience would have been familiar with. So there are reasons for us to think Paul had in mind uh, adoption practices in the Roman world. Adoption was commonplace in the Roman world of Paul's day. It was common. Paul, of course, was a Roman citizen, and Paul used the, the adoption metaphor only in the letters that he wrote to churches directly under Roman rule. 
Romans, Ephesians, and Galatians. Hmm. So all these things make us think that Paul probably did have in mind the Roman practice of adoption. And, and there's one way that adoption was different then than it is now in, in, in the Roman world. Today, where today we think about you know, families adopting children, adopting orphans, et cetera. Um, it, it would be very odd for us to think about adopting an adult into our family. But in the, in the Roman world, that was the practice. Adults were adopted. And adoption was connected to inheritance, the, the inheritance of property or the inheritance of power. And Paul connected our spiritual adoption with our inheritance here in this passage in Romans 8, 17. We are heirs of God. Now we know that, uh, here's an interesting little thing that we do know, is that Roman emperors often adopted adult men, not related to them by blood, to ensure a succession of power. So they would pick them over their own children to be the next yeah, ruler. The, the, yeah, the purpose of the adoption was that the adoptee would become heir to the to the throne, to power. So here's some examples. I mean, this this wasn't just once or twice that this happened. Julius Caesar adopted Octavian, who's who's known also as Caesar Augustus. Mm -hmm. uh, so Caesar Augustus, who issued the decree at the time of Jesus' birth that the Roman world should be registered, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Uh, Caesar Augustus, Octavian was his name. Caesar Augustus uh, is what we know him by in the New Testament. He adopted a son named Tiberius who adopted Gaius Caligula. Gaius's uncle Claudius ad adopted Nero, who we know, who persecuted Christians. And none of these were blood relatives? No, none of them were. And here's one, one last thing. One little interesting thing about Claudius' Claudius's adoption of Nero, which happened just about four years before Paul wrote Romans. But Claudius had already had a daughter named Octavia, a blood, uh, who was a blood uh, relative, who was, a, who was a, a, the daughter of Claudius. Okay. okay. Let me get back on track here. Okay. Um, Claudius had a daughter, but he adopted Nero. Okay. Because they were adopted, because Nero was adopted, he was legally the brother of Octavia. Okay. So they were brother and sister. In the eyes of the law, they're brother and sister. Now, when, when Nero decided he wanted to marry Octavia, special legislation had to be passed in order to allow him to marry a woman who was legally his sister. But she, was, she wasn't her sister by, by, by blood. But only but by, by adoption. adoption. Now, why that's significant, what that says to us, is that the adopted child was legally, in every way, considered the same as a natural-born child. Is, and that's what that says to us. Which would be uh, important here in this particular passage uh, because Paul's pretty much saying that you are part of God's family and we're all at the same level yes. at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, another passage, or another part of this passage is the redemption of creation. What does that tell us about the extent of sin and the extent of what Jesus did on the cross? Well, Adam and Eve's sin, it didn't impact only Adam and Eve and not only the human race, but their sin impacted the entire created world. The entire created world suffers the effects of Adam and Eve's sin. And when Paul says in Romans 8.20 here in our passage that creation was subjected to futility, he probably has in mind there Genesis 3, where God cursed the ground as part of 
Adam's punishment. Back in Genesis 3, 17 and following, where God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, um, the ground is cursed. You will eat from it by means of painful labor. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So in punishment for Adam's sin, it was going to be much harder to cultivate the ground, produce a harvest. The earth was going to produce thorns and thistles. So it wasn't that work was punishment for sin, but working the earth would now involve a struggle. It would, it would be frustrating, painful labor to work the earth. And, and of course, and, and that was one effect of sin. There are other ways that creation reflects uh, the fall or sin, and you think about natural disaster, you think about earthquakes, floods, drought, famine, decay, disease, all these things. Enmity, uh, enmity between animals. Yeah, yeah. These, these surely were not a part of God's original creation in the Garden of Eden. And, and interestingly, in these verses, you know, in, in Romans eight nineteen, Paul, he, per, he personifies creation. He talks about how creation is waiting with eager expectation. Creation is groaning and it's longing to be, be set free from the effects of sin. And what he says here is that, it, and it will be, that creation will be fully restored to the way it was in Eden before the fall. And, and you know, the prophets talked about a new heaven and a new earth. In Isaiah 65, 17, I'll create a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Peter, 2 Peter 3.13, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Revelation 22 describes this new earth when the curse of sin is removed from the earth. So the cross and the resurrection has uh, cosmic impact. Not only will we as believers receive glorified resurrected bodies, but the whole created order will be restored to God's original intent. People and nature will be set free from the effects of sin. So that longing that creation has uh, for redemption should be a longing that we too share yes. uh, and desire as much as, as creation does. That's right. One rabbit that's sitting out there that may happen that we may have to address, since we've got this idea of, of redemption taking place, all of creation moaning, it's, it's going to, you know, uh, uh, basically talking about the return of Christ. How can we reel in the discussions about when creation will be redeemed. Yeah, when, when, when is this going to happen, would, I, I think, is, is a natural question that people will want to ask, perhaps. Uh, let me just say, there's, there's no reason, there's no need for us to tie the truth of this passage to any one particular millennial viewpoint. There, there's no need to do that. And, and once you start fitting uh, the events on a timeline. Once you start making a timeline here, it's going to lead. It's going to lead you away from the point of of the passage. Uh, so here's you know a couple of things here. One is we all agree that Jesus is coming back. We we may have differences of opinion about you know some of the things that are going to take place surrounding that, but we all agree on that that Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to finish what he started at his first coming. Okay, we, so we, I think we can all agree on that. And then the second thing here is that the purpose of God's revealed truth about our future hope, the purpose of this truth that God has revealed is not speculation, it's motivation. Because we know God will, in his way, in his time, bring this present world to an end, because we know that, because we know that this present world is a temporary one and, and, and our life and the new creation will be for eternity, because we know these things, we're motivated to live godly lives while we're here, to live in such a way that we are storing up our treasures in heaven. 
So what I'm saying Which is, is it, part of our inheritance. Yeah. So what I'm saying is more important than timelines and, and trying to fill in all the, you know, when's this going to happen and when is that going to happen? More important than the timeline are the, is the implication of the truth in Romans 8. More important is that we, we understand how to live in light of the promise that we find in Romans chapter 8. We get so focused on the, uh, the, the winds of the return, the, the timetable of the return, we forget that we have a life to live in anticipation of that return. Yeah, that's where the focus is. Any other key insights, thoughts that you would think would be important to bring out in this particular? No, I, I, I don't know that there's anything more than that. It's just, just what we need to keep coming back to as teachers in, in teaching this lesson is, is the question, what do the people in our classes really need? What do they really need? It's not speculation. It's not theories. But it's how are we supposed to live in light of the truth that God has revealed to us? What does God want us to do with this? And so keep coming back to that. Don't chase those rabbits. They're going to be tempting to chase these rabbits of speculation. Let's keep coming back to, okay, what are we supposed to do with this now? Because the key idea here is that we have a sure inheritance, a sure hope for a future. Everything is about being confident of those things, um, and that it should impact how we live our lives. That's right. Mike, thank you for being with us today. Next week, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15, as we look at the idea that salvation has always been granted through faith. A key idea in all of Romans will be found in that passage, and, and probably one of the more known verses also as we look at chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. Thank you much. We look forward to visiting with you next week.